you really come to grips with that. Just, so, to, yeah. just for clarification, Lee is not a nihilist. <laughs> He's a self-proclaimed <laughs> nihilist. <laughs> Welcome. Before we get into the topic, don't forget to subscribe to Basically Related and leave a five-star review. You can find us on YouTube as well and subscribe there. Remember to hit the notification button so you'll know when we drop new content. Also, you can sign up on our monthly AMA episodes at basicallyrelated.com and ask a question at basicallyrelated.com forward slash AMA. We answer all your questions in a monthly episode delivered to members only. So I guess uh, about two weeks ago, three weeks ago when this episode comes out, we began the holy season of Advent uh, leading up. That's uh, the kind of the four weeks that lead up to Christmas on the Catholic calendar. Um, and the kind of the main theme of Advent is preparation. I know there's, there's some, I guess there's some debate about whether or not Advent's a penitential holiday mm-hmm. or, or holy season. I know some people are kind of back and forth on it, but we, we wear purple. So, right. Yeah. That's the liturgical color, uh, which is usually a penitential color. Yeah. Um, I, I think it makes sense that it might be a little bit more penitential and that what the, what the readings, the season, even the season itself, I know some of the church fathers talked about having it in these colder, darker months mm-hmm. was to kind of cosmically symbolize the the world before Christ, mm, the, the yeah. kind of the world awaiting Christ. You know, right. it's cold, it's dark, and it's waiting for the light of Christ. Right. You know, the warmth of Christ to come back, or to come, um, I guess God to intervene again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> um, uh, I guess even you know when I say come back, I guess even when in Christmas we're awaiting His arrival, mm-hmm. but that also we're waiting for the ultimate arrival. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of these multiple... Yes. Yeah, you yeah. Know, I think there's the... Um, in Mass, talk about the two comings of Christ. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very much a, a time of expectation, um, of hope, mm-hmm. of looking forward. Yeah. I, I, I think. I actually... Um, I, I preached about this on the first week of Advent, um, how there's really three comings in which... Um, yes. In which the Church encourages us to meditate upon. Mm. Um, it's... The coming forward, the coming of Christ in history when he was born in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. Um, then it's the eschatological coming um, at the end of time, Christ's second coming. Um, but there's also a third aspect um, of Christ coming to us in the present moment. Like yeah. Christ wishes to be born in us, you know, mm. to use the language of Advent and Christmas, um, even today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you go to Mass, right, he comes upon the altar. And there's a sense of preparation um, that we have to undergo in that third coming uh and so you know when you go to mass like are you even outside of advent do you enter into a mini advent (laughs) right Mm -hmm. and prepare yourself for that coming too so those are kind of the three aspects in which we um meditate on christ's coming so yeah yeah i think the uh, usually it's the two big uh arrivals of christ right the the historical and the eschatological yeah um those are the two that are focused on most um, like i said even in the liturgy but then there's this third, like you said, this this one that happens, you know, every day in the mass, mm-hmm. but also in your kind of individual life, you know, the Christ's personal advent in your soul. Yeah, that sometimes gets lost. You know, it does. In the and, and I think that um, those three aspects—it's it's a beautiful reflection of um, how 
Christ envelops all of time. It's like past, present, future, right? Right. Right. And when you um when you're able to remember, recall, um, you know, in an anamnesis kind of way, <laughs> how mm-hmm. he came in that first coming. Um, we look forward to the resurrection of the dead, right? And when his reign will be fully established. Uh, and then we're prepping our souls now in the present. Um, it's, a, it's a past, present, future um, aspect um, in Advent that we're looking forward to. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a beautiful reflection um, and, and preparation. So, Yeah, the, the readings during Advent are also, they're like, well, it's just like in all the seasons, like in Advent and in Lent, they're always kind of packed full of like great images yeah. mm-hmm. and, and symbolism. You know, I know it uh, at the beginning of Advent, the first the first week, they had a lot of the kind of the dark and the light, mm-hmm. kind of the, the wakefulness and yep. asleep. Yeah, um, that kind of uh, again tapping into those cosmic images that you know the darkness is fate is passing away and the light is coming. Yeah, so you know you know as you sleep at night. And arise in the morning like you are sleeping now while Christ is gone. But when he returns or when he comes, yeah. mm-hmm. you will awake right. from, yeah. from this dream. Right, exactly. Um, I love how in the season of Advent, um, uh, in the liturgy, at Mass, every day, you're given an individual collect um, for every single day. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, and so the collect um, just... You know, for explanation's sake, um, the collect is that prayer, that opening prayer at Mass, uh, right after the priest says, let us pray. Mm-hmm. Typically, uh, you get one per week. And so the one that, um, it starts on Sunday, and you use that collect until the next Sunday. So the Mass is on Monday through Saturday. You use that same collect. However, in Advent, and this is true in Lent as well, we're given individual collects for every single day. And so Monday is different from Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, each has their individual um, collect. I think that that's a really beautiful move on the church to give us individual collects because in these penitential seasons or quasi-penitential seasons, whatever you want to call it, (laughs) um, while the church is encouraging you to increase your life of prayer, increase your um, penances, she's essentially saying, like, listen, you're... uh, Man does not live on bread alone. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so in order to feed now on the true bread, you have to rely more solely on the liturgy. Mm. And so it's like these colics are kind of guiding you step by step every day, saying while you're um, detaching from physical pleasures, mm-hmm. here's some spiritual pleasure. Right. Right. Um, it's almost like um, it's like little breadcrumbs, mm-hmm. like spiritual breadcrumbs along the way. Mm-hmm. So like, keep at it. Keep. Pers- it's almost like the cr- church is encouraging you to be like, I know, like detaching from the physical world is difficult. So we're gonna encourage you in this spiritual way. Uh, and so that's kind of that's the way I approach these colics. Yeah. Um, it's something new to meditate upon mm-hmm. every single day at mass. There's also an importance of when you fast or in a, in a are in a state of penance that you replace that with something. Yeah, exactly. You know, because something else will just swipe in, yeah. some other vice or, you know, temptation, what mm-hmm. have you. So knowing that you're going to, you know, stop your normal routines if they're causing you to sin or even just to, to fast from them, um, you need to replace it. And so, like, prayer yeah. is usually the go-to of, like, you pray more, you read more. Yeah. And so the church stepping in and being like, here are more access points for you yeah. in your journey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's increasing your desire, essentially, um, to delight in 
the coming of Christ at Christmas. I think um, there was a beautiful colic this past, um, I want to say it was Monday. I think it was Monday. Um, and, and the phrase in there was um, essentially encouraging us to um, you know, persevere in Advent. And I said, that so that we may come as we desire mm-hmm. uh, at, the, uh, at the incarnation of your son. And I love that phrase, like, as we desire. Um, essentially, it's, you know, sometimes in these penitential seasons, we can get lost in the, uh, in the to-do lists mm-hmm. of uh, Lent and Advent. Like, okay, uh, you know, I prayed an extra hour today. I, you know, I fasted. Mm. It's like, but are you actually cultivating that desire um, and not just giving up things that, you know, on the surface tend to squash your desire? Right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the whole point is not to destroy your desire, but to actually fulfill them and direct mm-hmm. them properly, right? And so that colic was very explicit in saying, so that we may come as we desire. Um, and in, 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 another, in other words, uh, that we may come in our, uh, that we may come uh, in a perfected way. <laughs> right. Um, so that our bent desires mm-hmm. that have been broken by our crooked sins uh, and our, all our, um, uh, you know, yeah, essentially bent desires of, um, towards things that are not of God. So that in penance, you know, and in, in fasting, that we can actually undo the brokenness of our desires and then point them to Christ. Right. That way, at Christmas, we can actually enjoy His coming mm-hmm. um, and actually delight in in His coming. Um, so, yeah, the, the way the colics are set up at um, during these penitential seasons is a really beautiful thing. Mm. Um, I remember I had an old um, liturgy professor at seminary um, who used to um, preach on the colics during Advent. That was his like mm-hmm. homily um, go-to. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just opened up those words. Um, so he, you know, he kind of put a magnifying glass on the colics. And so I kind of... Yeah, sometimes they're, they're really good. They are. Um, I think the first... Is it... I think it's Ash Wednesday or one of the early um, masses during Lent. I think the colic uh, says something about like as we begin this Christian campaign of warfare or something like that. Yeah, like, it's like very, I, I know what you're talking about. You know, it's actually, like yeah. you know because uh, it's it, but the whole idea is though that you're you're starting warfare against yourself, you're right? Yeah, right, and exactly. against your desires, your mm-hmm. yeah, or crooked your, desires, exactly yeah. your disordered yeah. inclinations. Yep. I'm like, wow, that's a that's a that's a powerful yeah. colic. That's and powerful so, so many prayer. times, like these, um, the colic, the colic is part of the um, uh, the not the ordinary part of the mass. The uh, what's the other? Um, it's uh, the, pr- there's proper and the proper. Yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. Um, so the proper's change, like the colic, the prayer before communion, mm-hmm. or um, the prayer over the offerings, prayer mm-hmm. after communion. Um, those those are really important to pay attention to, and so often we don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think you know when the priest says, "Let us pray." It's a prayer. You know, people are semi paying attention, and, mm-hmm. but um, there's a lot of wisdom packed into those prayers. So mm-hmm. yeah, and, like I said, I I'll have to when when the time comes. Uh, we'll we'll do a podcast on the uh, one of the the colics after after Christmas or it's in the Christmas season where it says um, in the nativity of your son you've established the beginning and fulfillment of all religion. Mm. Mm. Wow! And you know, and sometimes there's colics. That's a, that's a powerful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. it's like you know, it's the beginning of mass. Maybe you're not with it. Maybe right. you're not in yeah. the zone yet. And yeah. like they just say this. The priest yeah. just says like, you know, yeah, like mm-hmm. Jesus. Fulfill it all religion. Yeah. And then it's like moves Amen. on. Amen. Sit down. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so this is a, a something to, like like you said, it's something to definitely look at, read, pay attention mm, yeah. to, because there yeah. can be so much there. There is, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, a lot of the colics in, in Advent 
talk about what you were saying earlier about this kind of like hastening to meet, mm-hmm. like this running towards that. It's supposed to be a joyful coming, mm. yeah. a joyful arrival. And that's even how the eschatological arrival yes. is supposed to yeah, be. Yeah, exactly. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be joyful if you are well prepared. Prepared. Yeah, right. right. Exactly. Um, exactly. And I think that, you know, experientially, we know that, we, like, you know, for myself, there's, there's been some Christmases where I haven't prepared as well. And so you're not really experiencing that joy that God mm-hmm. wishes to give you. Uh, and so his coming is not, you know, like, you know, if you have a bad Christmas in your life or a bad um, season of preparation mm-hmm. for Christmas, you know, it, at worst is probably mediocre, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Christmas comes and goes. Um, but there is a sense that if you understand what Christ's coming really is, especially in light of his second coming, there is a sense of judgment that comes with that. And so um, mm-hmm. it can actually be um, a, f- uh, a scary <laughs> thing, yeah. you know, for, right. for your soul. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I like that notion of, you know, just fasting and preparation, and, but moving in desire, though. Because mm-hmm. so many times there's like this kind of dualistic notion that like you get rid of the bad stuff mm-hmm. so that you can focus on the good stuff. And so like soul good, body bad, like that whole thing starts to emerge during yeah. the Lent and Advent season um, where it's really just like if you made this the top of your priority, it is now time to move it lower. And like you just take yeah. a good self check on like where the things fit. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, let's kind of like take off some of these things, focus on prayer and then try and then build it back up in the right, right way. Um, and then, and that's, than your desires yeah. for Christ ultimately. Right. I just I really yeah. like that notion of like it still is in keeping with these things are good and they have their proper place. Right. But ultimately Christ is supposed to be a top. And so if something else is getting in that way, then it's gonna disorient you. Right. And I think um, you know, when you have that dualistic um view of the human person of soul good, body bad, mm-hmm. you know, the question of like where does desire fit fit into those distinctions? I think people typically could group that in the body category and saying desires are bad, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. But, you know, uh, this is Dante's whole point at the end of Purgatory, right? When he is able to actually undo his desires mm-hmm. uh, and, and then reorder them properly. Uh, you know, that's where, at the end of Purgatory when he's pro- like purified. Yep. Virgil says to him, now you can let pleasure be your guide. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say, like, you have abolished all pleasure. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? You have you abolished all de- desire. Yep. He says, now, you, now that it's properly oriented, mm-hmm. now you can let pleasure be your mm-hmm. guide. Um, and so, yeah, these penitential seasons is so important to keep track of desire. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's not, again, not to crush them, but to fulfill them in Christ. Yep. So, I think that's, on, on a practical level, that's part of why we have these liturgical seasons, is because mm-hmm. if... You know, the church understands human nature, and that human nature is prone to forget, mm-hmm. you know, uh, what's at, what should be at the highest is not usually at the highest, or, you know, you know things, attachments and sins and vices, everything kind yep. of pile up over the years, yeah. over the months, and it's like, okay, well, here's a season to now refocus, mm-hmm. right? then you get a little bit of time off, and then right. it's yeah. like, all right, let's mm-hmm. check back in and refocus. Spring cleaning again. Yeah, yeah well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, there's other reasons for them, obviously. But on a practical level, I think it's to this, mm-hmm. um, to your point, Matt, about reordering right. and getting a reminder that yeah. there are things that have taken uh, places in your life that they shouldn't. Mm. Yeah. Yep. I um, that was part of my homily too. The first week of Advent, um, in preparing 
for the coming of Christ at Christmas um, and remembering his second coming, those two senses of preparation. But then I really honed in on that third sense. Um, just like we can have a bad season uh, in our lives uh, uh, in preparing for Christmas and where you know our hearts are a little bit more mediocre than it should be, perhaps, um, so too do we experience that coming to Mass every Sunday. And, you know, I, I said, like, when we come to Mass, are you well prepared to receive our Lord? Like, if you complain that I'm not getting a lot of, I'm not getting anything out of Mass, mm. is that more on you or the Mass? Right. right. <laughs> um, like, w- when you come to Mass, like, are you, what kind of music are you listening to? Mm-hmm. Are you having frivolous conversations? Are you scrolling on your phone? And then you just expect to just plop down in the pew and then get the thing <laughs> you yeah. get the thing you know yeah, yeah. your mind is somewhere else mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um yeah. if you want to if you want again just like if you want to experience the joy at christmas or you want to experience the coming of christ at mass yeah you have to prepare well i feel like um, that's really just i mean if you're going to take it a little bit more psychological that's like everything though like if you want to experience this thing anything yeah it has to be a preparation that's that's true. like i didn't get the best workout it's like well how was your sleep yeah. what are you eating mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. like my marriage is not as great as it could be it's like well how are you preparing how are you casting things off and yeah. rebuilding it it's like the, the things that are going away in order to restructure aren't necessarily bad they need to be in the right place yeah so it's like every experience like how is my job like my job is not that great it's like well are you preparing for your job like it it you seems like proper attention there's to, a way to yeah, yeah to, to prepare and experience something the right way and then you could ask in a fractal sense, like, well, how do we like have a meta preparation for all the things? Yeah. And that's what liturgy is. You know, like liturgy mm-hmm. is, is preparing you for the fractal elements of experience. Yeah. 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 That's a really good point. In yeah. everything, there's a sense of preparation. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah, so. yeah. There's different uh, layers of preparation for mass. And, you know, it really does begin like the morning of. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, I think it's what it's, it's like immediate proximate. Mm-hmm. Um, remote or something like that. Yeah, They're like yeah. different. Um, so it's yeah, it's like what what were you uh, listening to or not listening to on the ride in yep. Yep. to mass or your drive in? Um, like I said, how was your sleep? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, how was how's your prayer life in general? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, when and then all the way to you're right to the moment you get into mass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But all these things are playing yeah right at, at how much you get out of because yeah. once you start to ask those questions it bleeds into other aspects of your life um that are conflicting so it's like how much do you want to ex- have a good experience at mass well yeah because that would that's... determine what you listen to prior whether yeah, or not exactly. you get a good night's sleep whether or not you're maintaining the hour fast like all mm-hmm. of those things like help you orient around liturgy and like your whole week should be like that it's yeah. like well you know sunday wasn't as restful because i had so much to do it's like well how are you structuring your week yeah so that sunday is a period of rest and then and then that structures out to like months and seasons and yeah. how is your advent because it's just like constant circles exactly. <laughs> getting bigger and bigger no exactly and it's i'm getting i'm sorry i'm gonna go on a rant here let's go <laughs> no, <laughs> no no just this idea that people some people complain about not getting a lot out of mass and then they give up on the whole church thing entirely. Mm -hmm. It's such a naive way to approach anything with any semblance of um, uh, like long lasting roots. (laughs) You don't like, like the mass is something that's so ancient and has stood for, you know, 2000 years. And you're going to say, I don't get anything out of it and I'm just going to give up on it. Instead of actually saying like, why do people find this attractive? Mm. Why has it lasted 2,000 years? Like, why do people continue to go to mass? And like, 
research it, you know? Um, yeah. Like, even aside from preparing, um, you know, by, you know, listening to right kind of music or not listening to music before mass, all those things that we just mentioned, do your research. Google, what is the mass? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. um, like, there's so many yeah. resources that can actually teach you, like, yeah. what you're supposed to, like, what the mass is about. Um, and so this idea that, like, I don't get a lot of it out of mass, that's why I don't go. Mm-hmm. It's like, do you approach everything like that? You right. know, anything with a lasting semblance of quality mm-hmm. um, or, you know, or again, like it's been around for so long. Right. You know, that's like someone picking up Shakespeare and saying, I don't get anything out of it. This is a <laughs> stupid book. Right. It's like you do realize like that's stood for, you know, yeah. four, five hundred, six hundred years. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. like, yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. You know, that definitely so. seems like the role of the lady in that, like, really check yourself before you discard that um, and figure out, like, why is it that? This is not clicking for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think there's some what of an analogy where it's like if you're if you're saying you're not getting a lot out of working out, it's like really do some soul searching as to why. Mm-hmm. Then there's also the flip side of like if you own a gym, you should make that gym an experience that wants that is like easing the experience of the people coming in. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the role of the priest and the liturgy. And like there, there's sure. like there's legitimate critiques for that. But if you're not the priest, then you have to fulfill your role as the lady, as yeah. doing that soul searching and that. No, that working. is fair, and that's and and this is not an excuse to say like, well, that means that the priest don't have to put any int- effort into preaching sure. or you know don't have to make the liturgy beautiful. Of course, all that is yep. important, but like on an individual level, mm-hmm. what are you doing yep. to get the best experience? Yeah. So yeah, so yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's that's really true. Like, do you <laughs> do you approach anything else in your life? Like that. Like that. Yeah. Like, I, I, I just don't, I just don't, I just don't get anything out of it. I didn't it. get I a lot out of brushing my teeth. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's I like, don't get a lot out of eating salad. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't eat salad. I was going to say, anyway. well, there's, <laughs> I should eat more. There's just That's a, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. There's just like a lot of things in life, though, where you technically don't get much out of it. Yeah. But it's still, you know, maybe the right thing to do yeah. or like, you gotta, like you said, you got to do your research, got to give it time. I don't know what it is. Yeah. But. Yeah. Mm. So. Anyway, yeah. another another um another way in which we can prepare, um, or you know, I'm trying to relate this point because um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I want to transition just to h- it. hard left, um, hard left, yeah. <laughs> no, but um, one of the things that I recently um uh, did during Advent was presided over um uh, lessons and carols, and uh, lessons and carols is a Anglican tradition um it's what we call in the church um when catholics do it <laughs> it's a power liturgy and so um it, it like it runs parallel to the liturgy but it's not an officially catholic liturgy mm. uh so we call it a power liturgy um because it is an anglican tradition um but it's essentially the nine it's nine scripture verses um nine passages from scripture and nine carols nine songs christmas songs um and the songs reflect the themes of the um, passages that we read. And it goes all the way. It starts with um, a passage from Genesis recalling our fall. And it ends up with the Great Commission when Christ tells the apostles to go out and preach the good news to the ends of the earth. And when I was presiding over it, uh, it really hit me how narratively structured the, Christ- the, the Christian story is. Mm. And I thought it was an excellent way to prepare for Advent in in, in attending um, one of these lessons and carols. I don't know how many 
places do them. I, they're, they're, they're relatively popular. Um, but, you know, if, if anyone has a chance to go um, to, to a Lessons in Carols, I urge you to go. Because it really, uh, again, it, it just hones in on how narratively structured the Christian story is. Uh, again, outlining um, the fall, right? The inciting incident of uh, how we how we even came to expect God's or, or prepare for God's coming in the incarnation. And the Christmas story specifically is could be seen uh, from a story perspective as the beginning of the third act. <laughs> it's the beginning of the climax mm-hmm. of um, the, of the story that we're living in. And in its in his coming, that's what is going to usher in um, the redemption of the world. And so, when you're able to, I think, uh, when you're able to enter into this story on a personal level, you understand that this fall, this fall of the cosmos, is personal. And so, we are fallen. Like everybody is fallen on an individual level, and so we need to experience Christ coming not just on this like grand narrative scale but on a personal scale mm-hmm. right the the as I, I've said this before the the macrocosm of the story needs to be adapted to a microcosmic scale right. um, and so I am fallen just like the mm-hmm. world is fallen I am fallen I am awaiting the redemption um, of my soul mm-hmm. and Christ is coming to me personally to save my world um, and that's again that gets back to this idea of advent of mm-hmm. preparing your soul. And so just as the, the, the entire world was in waiting for redemption, um, the Old Testament prophets and all the sacrifices made in the Old Testament was kind of a preparation, in a sense, for Christ's coming. Um, and then the prophets foretelling, like, there is a redemption, like, hold out hope, mm-hmm. you know? Um, a shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, there is hope in the end. Um, so, too, do we wait that on a personal level. Right. But I just, yeah, I just, uh, you know, to wrap up, I just think that that, um, that viewing the Christian, um, the, the Christianity as a narrative is just very helpful. Um, right. We've talked about that before. Yeah, it's yeah. like stories yeah. and stuff. But Lessons in Carols, that practice is really, um, it hones in on that. Mm. So Yeah, that, that is actually a good point because the, the, Christ, uh, the, the Christian story is not the Christian philosophy. Right, you know, it's not like a series of teachings, right. ethics, and uh, you know, yeah. only. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. it there are that. there yeah. are teachings, but even the teachings are in a narrative form. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know, it's not the Q source, you know, <laughs> like yeah. a, a list of a list of sayings. You know, it's not Gnostic in a list of teachings yeah. or mm-hmm. certain knowledge. It's actually a story that then became all these other things and yeah. informed theology and informed philosophy. Yep. Um, yeah, because like, I hadn't really thought about that though. That it's it's primarily a story. Yeah, and I think um, it might have been Peterson who made this point. But all cultures are built on a myth. Mm-hmm. Every culture has their myth, on which that culture then operates. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the values of the culture comes from a certain understanding of the way the world works, and that and that understanding of the way the world works comes from that myth. Right. And Western culture is built on Christianity. Um, yeah. As as uh, unpopular as that opinion is, <laughs> um, yeah. So and, and then from that exactly we get we get philosophies we get ethics mm-hmm. um, everything is born out of this understanding of ultimately what the Christian story is built on is the Trinity and mm-hmm. it's this union of love right and when you're able to understand how the Father loves the Son and gave the Son and the Son now you know has mm-hmm. sacrificed himself 
for the Father, for the redemption of the world, all of mm-hmm. that in that seed of the of that singularity of the mm-hmm. Trinity, we get a, yeah. an entire culture. Right. Um, but yeah. you have to understand it as a myth. Like all all cultures are built on myth. This is our myth. The Christian stories are, and like of course, myth in in a in an authentic yep. way. I'm not saying myth is a fake story. Right. Uh, it's as C.S. Lewis would say, Christianity is true myth. Yeah. yeah so, as growing up, I've always like. I never like f- was attracted to learning history because I felt like it was just like a series of dates Event, events and, and events. Yeah. It's like okay, like you know, I get it. Like thanks for founding the United States. Like whatever, just like <laughs> yeah. random events. Like you know, cool. Yeah, that happened. But then it wasn't until I started realizing that these were like movements of ideas, and then these ideas are also like they're they're warning signs and or success stories of how ideas rise and fall. And I can actually take that into my own life. I've seen like, oh, mm-hmm. like this is why you don't want to be so tyrannical or this is why you don't want to be mm-hmm. overprotective or whatever. Like I started to see that in a fractal sense. I started realizing that there was a narrative structure mm-hmm. to history. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way that we would read something like Dostoevsky, Crime and Punishment, be like, okay, cool story about a guy murdering somebody, but... <laughs> Also, this is why I shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. It's really a, like you're starting to digest it in a sense of like, how does this narrative affect my life? And right. that's where you get into the mythological. So seeing Christianity, it's like, okay, you know, we celebrate the birth of Christ, whatever. It's like, that starts to break down into your own life. Like you were saying mm-hmm. that like, you're broken, you're fallen, you need redemption. And now this is this is supposed to be digested into your life mm-hmm. and is, is your myth. This is your hero's journey. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's... Um, uh, what, how did um, Peterson was quoting Jung, um, saying, and you know this quote better than I do, but essentially the idea of Christianity is to adapt the meta pattern of Christ's life into your own life, right? Right. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and that's exa- that's essessentially what we do with any story, like just mm-hmm. like you were saying, mm-hmm. um, that these heroes that we uphold are supposed to be models of virtue, right? right? Or, or models at least of the way to be living, right? Which is so important now when we see like you know movies nowadays like what what are the heroes embodying and are we going to live up to that meta pattern Mm -hmm. right um but that's that's the idea for christianity it's the imitation of christ right right that's what i was gonna say yeah Yeah. a kempis is Mm -hmm. um you know classic that's the idea that we imitate christ but to put it in a narrative psychological Mm -hmm. sense yeah to enact the meta pattern of christ's life into your own life Mm -hmm. um so yeah and perhaps that's that's the the importance of it being in a narrative and in a story because yes. it's kind of easier right. to imitate a character in a sense than it is yeah, to sure. imitate a series of ideas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, like how do I like here are the ideas and here's what you should be. You know, you, you know, you should be humble and 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 um, self-giving, mm-hmm. self-sacrificial, and charitable. It's mm-hmm. Like, okay, what does that look like? Yeah, and then yeah, Christ sure. is like, this is what yep. it looks like. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay, you know, or what does he say? Um, uh. Uh, like take my yoke upon me, learn from me, yes. for I'm meek and humble mm-hmm. of yeah, heart. Exactly. It's like do yep. what I do. Right. And it's like yeah. okay, I can do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We we, and this is the whole idea why Christ teaches in parables. Like mm-hmm. you know, it's yep. those ideas connect better, for in stories for some reason mm-hmm. than just pure abstract ideas. Because they're touching on the archetypes. Well, yeah. Yeah, there you <laughs> well, that's what you said. <laughs> hey. No, well, and that's why in Christianity we don't say um, endure suffering. We say yeah. take up your cross. Right. Right, yeah. and that's that is a we're essentially using an element from a story mm-hmm. 
to say what you should do in your right. own personal life. Yeah. Taking saying taking up your cross is a, is on a, on a lower level is like saying um, carry the ring to Mount Doom. Yeah, right. right. Um, we know what that means because we know the story, mm-hmm. right? Um, but taking you know saying taking up your cross outside of a story doesn't make any sense. Like, right. well, so you want me to just die? Yeah. It's like no, but when you put it in the Christian story. Mm-hmm. You understand how taking up your cross leads to eternal life. So. I was just thinking about that. Um, my wife and I went to go see Handel's Messiah uh, last week, and I was watch. We were sitting pretty close, and so we were watching the conductor do his thing, and it made me think about how the need for an embodied reality is like was really needed at that, like in an orchestra, uh, because you have so many moving parts. There's so many quote unquote rules. You have the music notation, like. And then everybody has their own miniature interpretation of like, what is piano? What is forte? Like, how, how mm. long do you sustain this note? And it's almost as if all of that is first embodied into one person. And then you watch him move and then live that out. Mm-hmm. So like your, your ideal is like in front of you and, and you basically imitate the conductor. And so when he moves like this, that's, when, that's how hard you, you move the bow and then when he stops, that's when you stop. Mm-hmm. Even though the, the music notation is there, like this is where like ethics come out of Christianity, but ultimately it's first embodied in this person. Mm. And then it's the imitation of that person that music happens. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, yeah. Um, that's, I mean, I'm not music. I like music. <laughs> that's all I can say. <laughs> I'm not really musically inclined to yeah. understand. But I get like, you know, at the um, lessons and carols that I presided mm-hmm. over, there was a conductor. Yeah. Um, and so I was able to, I, I did glimpse at this, like, yeah, he's embodying the music um, and therefore embodying the story that we're expressing. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, yeah. He's kind of the hero. You look at, if you were to look at his face as a, like, look at the conductor's face, he's like making emotions and you see him like angry or happy or like yes. encouraging mm-hmm. different parts. And all of that's like, he's just embodying the emotion of the song. Yeah. His first digesting it and then and then giving it to the people yeah. the the, yeah. the the most experience i've ever had with conducting with uh was wind <laughs> oh, <no>. waker um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> legend of zelda wind yeah. waker great game oh my god but yeah the hero conducting yeah, yeah. there you go <laughs> that's perfect <laughs> all right yeah it was um when you were talking about the conductor i was thinking about how you know each one of these people like you said they have their their own idea of how to play the, the song um in their individuality, but they're all participating in this one conductor's, mm-hmm. um, I, uh, I guess, oh, this one conductor's um, command of the music. Right. Um, and it is, so Jung, when he was talking about the imitation of Christ, he said that this is the, the problem for the Christian is that they don't just simply do only as Christ did. Like Christ was Christ and you can't mm-hmm. be Christ yeah. completely. Right. So you have to figure out how how do you in your individuality embody Christ? That's right. Yeah. Yep. How, how do you participate in that? Exactly. Right. Because, um, like you said, because you said if you take it to extreme, then that means that you would save the world or something. Yeah, you yeah. Would save yourself. Right. Or like, literally you know, die on a cross. Right. And yeah. he's like, he's like, that's not possible. Right. Um, so how how do you go about incarnating Christ in your own individual way? Mm-hmm. Uh, Edith Stein has. Um, I hope I'm getting this right. She has this idea that um, each person is almost like their own species, mm. insofar in a, in a philosophical sense, um, you know, like angels okay. apparently. Yeah. So she said that each human is almost like this kind of ray of light that is, has its almost um, 
uh, like a ray of light in a in a um, rainbow or something mm-hmm. like that. Like has their own special set of 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 uh, humanity that they yeah. have to um, find a way to bring Christ into their their own individual life in their own individual way in their own mm. particularity. Uh, yeah, yeah, particularity. Yeah. I'm trying to find the the words yeah. to describe yeah. it, but um, that that they're sort of unrepeatable. Right. So what do you do with that? Uh-huh. Know, what do you do with your uniqueness? Like, so, well, it seems like you have to kind of bound it. You have to bind it to something. Yeah, right. Like this conductor, mm-hmm. you know, you have to bind yep. it to something like yeah. Christ. Yeah, because perfect imitation it's... of the conductor would make you a conductor. Right, right, you know right. So, like, how does the trombone player embody the conductor? It's not by being a conductor. It's by, like, kind of boiling down the yeah. meta pattern there. Yeah. Yeah. And you were saying, like, yeah. like, it's funny you mentioned the rainbow, because in the rainbow, there's color frequencies, Mm-hmm. But in music, yes. there are sound frequencies. Right. And so mm-hmm. like every individual instrument player has their own frequency to occupy, yeah. whether you're creating harmonies or whatever. And so it's like, how do you live your frequency? Yeah. And it's in relationship to that conductor at the cadence, at the, right. the intensity. Right. That's, yeah. um, that's a really good point because there are so many people um, that I've interacted with um, who, in wanting to live out their Christianity, um, they think that they need to they they have a very specific idea of what living out Christianity looks like, and it's usually not in their particular lives. Mm. Right. I, usual usual is probably a, a blanket statement. Um, some you know at sometimes, uh, they think that like well a, a saint goes to church all the time, you know um, like I need like taking up my cross is going to look like um, helping out at these various homeless shelters, mm-hmm. and it's like but no but like to your point it's like what is the particular instance of your life where Christ is actually calling you to grow closer to him. Mm-hmm. You know, that's your idea, but boil it down even further. Uh, like get very personal right. with it. And sometimes, you know, growing closer to Christ is not going out of your home to feed the, the homeless, but it's feeding your children. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's going to just like that, that individuality of living the Christian life mm-hmm. uh, is sometimes much more closer to home than you think. Right. Um, so, and I think that this relates to that idea of like, you know, bring it down a little bit more personal. Um, yep. that's the archetype. Yes. But everybody has their own, um, particular way in which Christ is calling them to closer to himself. Right. So. Yep. Right. That's, uh, at the beginning of St. Francis de Sales, uh, introduction to the devout life oh, is, yeah. you know, you have to live your vocation or you have to live whatever God is calling you to, you know, if, if you're. If you're a mother, you can't act like you're a Carthusian monk, right? Yeah. No, exactly. You know, and, yeah. and live in the middle of nowhere. It's yeah, like, yeah. oh, you have, mm-hmm. you know, a, a family to take care of. That's yeah. where you're supposed to be. So, how yeah. do you incarnate Christ in the home right. or whatever, or wherever yep. you are? Uh, you know, I, I think uh, you probably encountered this a little bit in seminary. Uh, it's it's tempting to find a favorite saint and be like, I'm going to be that saint. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, they were that saint. Yeah, yeah. you know, like <laughs> yeah. you know that, that that's who they were and. Yeah. They, you can't be them. Yeah. Maybe there's things you admire about mm-hmm. them and things you want to take from them. Absolutely. But in the end, you should really have some sort of amalgamation of various saints and right. virtues yes. right. that you can find inspiration from, but you have to live in your own way. Right. Yeah. I'm just thinking of like a, if, if you were canonized a saint, 
Like they'd be like, he was so close to John of the Cross that we like we, he is John of the Cross Jr. Like that's <laughs> <laughs> he's not his individual saint. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. You know, right. like usually if you read a biography of a saint, they are certainly inspired by other saints. Yes. But they're not like Yeah, right. Exactly him. Right, yeah. exactly. It's yeah. like, well, they were like just like this other saint, so that's why we canonize. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. It's like, no, it has to be individual. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in the um in in Advent and and such like that, uh, some of the the big, the big archetypes are the you know the archetype of the mother, yeah, the archetype of the child, and what that you know what that means. And um, Pope Benedict talks about the kind of the scandal of ordinariness. That uh, if you read the Gospels, Christ says something or does something, and they say, well, you know, we know this guy. You know, he's from is his father's Joseph and his mother's Mary. We know him. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of this plainness yeah. but on the other they're marveling at his teaching and they're marveling at his 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 power and, and knowledge so there's this kind of connection of mysterious and ordinary um and i think you said it well father before we began that from the ordinary or the, the mysterious is in the ordinary mm-hmm. i think is that what you said or like from the ordinary comes from the, the extraordinary yeah is oh, that what I said? yeah yeah right yeah, is yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, you got it yeah there it is <laughs> yeah <laughs> that, that was from the same. ordinary comes the extraordinary yes. i think that's yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah. So you know, the, in this kind of grand cosmic plan and in this uh, incredible event of the incarnation, it happened just in an ordinary family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, in an ordinary time and a historical place that you can still go right, visit. Yeah. Um. And it, it it certainly made me think of my own preparation for getting married in a month from now. Um. And exactly a month almost. Wait, what yeah. was it? Yeah, uh, the sixth, the, the, the seventh, the seventh, and the sixth was something else. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> no. Not to not to derail the <laughs> yeah, not to go down that route, but <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, you know, it's just the the um that we would say that marriage is kind of the the natural vocation mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. a man and a woman, um, but that from something natural, from something ordinary, very extraordinary things happen. Yeah, exactly. Um, in, in this sort of, uh, the, the hiddenness yeah. of family life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's, um, that's really important to understand. You have this, um, it's almost, uh, you know, the incarnation can seriously be a scandal to some people. It's like, how could God even deem himself, like, how could he stoop low enough, mm-hmm. you know, um, to actually become one of us? Right. Right. It was, um, Oh man, what's the? There's a poem. It's called "Crazy Jane Talks with a Bishop." I can't remember what uh, who the uh, author is. Uh, William Butler Yeats. Yeats. Yeah, Yeats. yeah, yeah. Yeats. 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 Um, great poem. <laughs> um, even if I can't re- remember the author's name. Anyway, he has a great line in there saying that love has pitched his mansion in the place of excrement, <laughs> mm. <laughs> but nothing can be made yeah. sole or whole that cannot that was not rent. Mm. Um, so essentially this idea that like he's, yeah, he is placed, you know, he's pitched yeah. his mansion in a place of excrement. Like this yeah. is, it's almost a scandal yeah. um, that like, you know, something so pure mm-hmm. would actually become so ordinary yeah. um, and so close to us. Um, but that's the beginning of the redemption. And, and so just relating to your point, I think people can sometimes have these ideas of grandeur mm-hmm. and saying like, well, you know, again, like to be a saint, I have to do these great mm-hmm. things. It's like, be ordinary, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. live your ordinary life. 
Um, yeah. You know, redemption comes through a man and a woman right. and their child. Like right. that's, and Chesterton says like the most extraordinary thing in the world is the ordinary life of a man and a woman mm-hmm. and a child. Um, yeah. So um, it's, yeah. it's in the ordinary that you find the extraordinary. Yeah. And there's something very beautiful about that too. Um, I think sometimes we get caught up in, again, like these ideas of self-grandeur and, and heroism mm-hmm. and these massive cosmic battles, you know, with epic music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, that's beautiful, you know, in, in its own right. But when you have like this father that's and, and, and mother that are loving each other till death do them part. Right. And providing a beautiful life for the child. There's just as much beauty in that as, you know, uh, um, a hero saving the world. Right. So, yeah, that's it's really important to get down to that point. So. Yeah, yeah. The, the hero saving the world, I think, from certainly from... Uh, my point of view or man's point of view, you want to be, you want to be out in the front, right? Like you want to, yeah. you want yeah. the grand, you want to do something big and you want, you want people to see you, you mm-hmm. know, doing this big thing. And uh, family life can be so, so plain. And hidden. And, right. right yeah. And hidden. Yeah. Um, and this is, this is where I, I rely on, you know, <laughs> reading the Carmelites that, you know, the best thing you can do is kind of, is, is to be, to be hidden. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about all the, the great saints that, lived in, you know, lived in cloisters or yeah. convents or monasteries. And it's, in a sense, your home can become that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's where you're, you're hidden away um, from, from these grand deeds, because there's, there's no telling that these grand deeds would actually make you good. Yeah. Um, they, they could be the worst thing for you. So mm-hmm. uh, when you're hidden away doing ordinary things, it, it's, you're actually sustaining the world yeah <laughs> yeah you know sure. like because yeah. society is it's the you know marriage yeah. is the bedrock and that's not just a saying yeah mm-hmm. or an idea it literally is and it, it really takes um a leap of faith to believe that too um and i think that that's actually that, that's a great um example of the difference between hope and despair it's like could you do you actually actually have enough faith to live this hidden life believing that it will make a difference in the world Right. You know, you can say, oh, you know, me waking up and going to work and feeding my family, mm-hmm. like it's all for nothing. They're ungrateful. My kid doesn't even, mm-hmm. you know, show, like, he's like ungrateful. And it's like, yeah, but do you have the faith to say that, like, I'm going to have hope that this is going to make a difference anyway? Right. Um, yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a tough act of faith sometimes. Yeah. But that's the difference between like life and death, really. It's like, you know, do I have enough faith that my life, even though if I die, like, it's worth it. <laughs> you know, it's worth it. Yeah. Um, and so I think in living your ordinary vocation is, is just in itself living it is an act of uh, immense heroic virtue in a sense. Um, yeah. You know, I think like of, this is going to make a difference. I think of my own life and like the external successes I've had, music, business, what have you. And I don't think, I can, I can definitely say that my marriage has saved me. You know, mm-hmm. like in that sense, um, in that it's it's what kept me grounded. It what it's what gives me hope. Um, and so, like to say that, like your life is found in the ordinary, just like rings so true to me. In that, like even if I had if I had these material successes outside of like marriage, uh, and a, family. yeah, like a, a good steeped knowledge of religion, um, constant habits, my relationship with my wife and my kids, and then like immediate family. Just like all the order, all the ordinary things, that's what saves my life mm-hmm. constantly. So yeah, I don't, I don't. I mean, even 
even to speculate like this has some meaning somewhere. It's like even in your own microcosm. Yeah. It's it's the savior of my story. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I um you know <laughs> I I've I've long thought about how when when a man and a woman get engaged, uh the it's not that the men aren't like excited or happy or whatever it is, but like women are really they're yeah. really excited. Yeah, it's all the pictures. <laughs> right, the, right. Yeah. Like they're like you know their their friends are screaming. Where guys are sort of like yeah, yeah, you know, and they're like they're happy for you. Yeah, but old it, ball just, and chain. Yeah, but it's it's just it's not. Yeah, exactly. It's not the same reaction. And it yeah. wasn't until uh, I read it was something from like a, a student of Jung's or like a or something like that. But he was saying that marriage is a is a woman's initiation, right? Mm. Mm. And that and that's sort of. He didn't say this is why they're excited, but you can understand that this is why perhaps women are can be more excited. Yeah, uh, Jung would characterize a woman's consciousness, kind of her her conscious thinking as as eros, and men's as logos. Mm, yeah. But eros, it more in terms of love, not not on the erotic mm-hmm. side, but as as love, as relatedness. Mm-hmm. So until a woman is married, she's unrelated. That that's kind of the yeah. idea behind this you know is, yeah. maiden and virgin, oh, wow. maiden yeah. and virgin, yep. not in a physical or legal mm-hmm. sense, but in in sort of the archetypal sense of a woman who is unrelated mm-hmm. is a virgin. Um, yeah. She she has um, no connection with a man, you mm-hmm. could say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when a woman is married and she's initiated, then she actually finds kind of that fulfillment of eros mm-hmm. that she's looking for. Yeah. And that's that's really interesting. In fact, you t- you take the image of um, uh, Christ in the church, mm-hmm. or even Christ in the world. Let's just say, like mm-hmm. for a more archetypal uh, uh, sense, yeah. uh, you have this idea of the man embodying Christ and the woman as the earth. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, like the archetype of the woman is related to the earth, waiting to be redeemed by Christ. Sure. In yeah. a sense, uh-huh. and so maybe that excitement of the woman is like you know it's right. it's like you know rejoice yeah. you know because mm-hmm. you are about to be redeemed mm-hmm. yeah and so this idea of the man standing in place of christ redeeming mm-hmm. you know because i don't think you know in, in christ coming to earth i don't think there was a bunch of angels taking pictures about you know for his <laughs> engagement god, god the father right. was like old ball and chain <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> exactly right and so but there is a sense of like the earth you know yeah. awaiting Christ coming. Yeah, yeah. And so I think like, you know, that that archetype in, yeah. in mm-hmm. man and woman being engaged, that's really interesting. Yeah. There's yeah. also I mean, even on the biological sense, women are inherently tied to their nature reproduction. Uh, yeah. Like they have the cycle, they have um the pregnancy gear already there. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like it's like awaiting um Fulfillment. like a completion. Yeah, yeah right. And yep. whereas men have a little bit more of existential angst. This this is something Clavin has pointed out a lot of like why do men make better art statistically? <laughs> Yeah. Like that, not to say that women can't, but like you know, the most, like it's been mostly men that make the greatest things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because women already do that naturally. Like right. their art, their like artifice is creation itself. Like it, yeah. it's it's children, it's human beings, and so men are like stuck in this existential like floating state where like we can't create beings. So here's our best attempt. Yeah. And so we see that as like men are better at art, but it's really just like this is what they do and this is what women do. Yeah. So something like marriage would be like the completion of that natural instinct from a woman that's more so present in a female than a male. Right. 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 
Yeah, that's very interesting. Also, the the sense of like a a woman taking on the man's name. Um, you know, when she says when when the engagement happens and, and the man asks the woman to be his wife, uh, with that comes a, a a it's not just yes, it's I will take your name, mm-hmm. and and it's just this accepting of almost like a, a new creation, right? It's almost like again like the analogy of Christ in the church, like. The church is now Christ's, right? Right, and it's the sense yeah. of like part of Christ's I'm body. A new, yeah, it's a new creation, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we can understand the world as being redeemed as um, it's it is Christ almost Himself, like the body yeah. of Christ on earth. Mm-hmm. And so, like that whole even the name change is yeah. like a new identity, right? Yeah, um, yeah the symbolism there is a, there's there's a lot, it's pretty wild. Yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot. Um, certainly. Like you know, Jung and Eliade and and some others, they they all have tons of stuff on on marriage, but particularly the the Heros Gamos, the, the sacred mm-hmm. the sacred wedding, which mm-hmm. is um, you know in, in in both of their minds, the human institution of marriage takes its form from the mythical form of marriage. So whatever mm-hmm. that is, that gets distillated down or translated down to distilled down to. Um, the human institution. So, you know, mm-hmm. for the you know, in the Catholic tradition, the the Christian tradition, the great images of the Harris Gamos are, you know, the wedding feast of the Lamb. Mm-hmm. You have in in Revelation, God in Israel, mm-hmm. even in the Old Testament. And then you have Christ, mm-hmm. the bridegroom in the church. Mm-hmm. And this is this is is where Saint Paul even gra- grabs this imagery from, where he says, you know, husbands serve as Christ right. serves, yep. and mm-hmm. um, and uh, wives, you know, kind of love your husbands. As, as Christ would have mm-hmm. you do and, and, and such like that. Um, but the, the, the image, the images of, I, I think of, of, uh, of marriage are, can also, uh, also tie to sacrifice a lot of times. For sure. Whenever there's a commitment, there's some sort of sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, and perhaps, you know, for a man, the, the sacrifice is his, his sacred independence. Yes, as, yeah, as, yeah. as Jung would call it, you know, right. his his bachelorhood. That's his yep. his sacrifice. Um, is that he no longer is? You, you can feel like you're no longer the hero mm-hmm. um, because uh, I, had a te- I had a teacher in seminary point this out actually on when we were talking about celibacy. He said if you look at a lot of the the classic heroes of comics, they're they're celibate mm-hmm. and or at least unmarried. Again, not maybe yeah. in in that kind of archetypal sense that. Um, you know, Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think Superman. Does Superman never get married to think so. Lois, Lois Lane? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. But uh, that is very interesting. That there is a sense of, um, I mean, like the Jedi too, right? Are, right. are meant mm-hmm. to like you know not have right. uh, mm-hmm. you know attachments, and so like I think celibacy and heroism kind of almost go hand in hand. Um, right. And well, yeah. that, that's so. That's what it seems like. Is at least at the very least, the hero is kind of the the untamed man, yeah, it seems like, whereas marriage is sort of this this taming. But I do think it's actually a time for the man to get perhaps um, more equated with unrealized aspects of himself. Mm. At least, you know, that's maybe how you might put it. Um, insofar as there's a feminine aspect to man, as there's a masculine mm-hmm. aspect to women. Um, I just read a study recently about dad brain. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that's a that's a real thing. 
that you know a man's brain undergoes some changes once he has his first child, particularly in the areas of it looks like empathy mm-hmm. and memory and compassion. Yeah, and I do know my friends who are married who have children. There is something that's a little bit softer about them, not yeah. not in a, not in a derogatory way mm-hmm. or you know effeminate or something. Yep. Just they seem a little bit more compassionate. Mm-hmm. I'm secretly like curious about what's going to happen to your nihilistic brain <laughs> after yeah. you have a kid. Well, like I'm just curious yeah. if it's going to soften a little. Like I don't know. I, yeah, I, I've I've thought about that um, because you you can't really afford to be nihilistic. Yeah, when you for have sure. a child. Yeah, yeah. and know? like even if you could convince yourself logically that like. I get why nihilism is a bad option. Yeah. There's nothing like the experience of it. Oh, like, well, I'm now sure. I got like family that is like, you know, dependent, dependent and, yeah. on me yeah. to make choices for their potential future yeah. for what? You know, it's like, and then you have, you really come to grips with that. Just, so, yeah. just for clarification, Lee is not a nihilist. <laughs> He's a self-proclaimed nihilist. <laughs> it, it's more of, like I said, what uh, um, Pope Benedict said, you're, you're hanging, you're what, you're on you're, the, the you're, mask. You're holding on to like a, a a piece of like uh, debris from right. a broken a ship, ship. Yeah. yeah, and the the abyss is flo- is, is <laughs> right. underneath yeah, you, yeah. and right. you realize the, disp- right. the right the exactly. Abyss. Yeah, that's sort of how it is. Like I'm floating on a plank of wood. That's faith. <laughs> yeah, but just right if I flip, <laughs> it's, it's nihilism. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, the thing is though, like that's, reality. That's, that's why. That's why. Like when you see the these like stats that are showing less and less people getting married it's like no wonder there's nihilism it's like because you don't have that experience yeah of knowing that there's stakes and there's people dependent on you sure. and, and that really f- shifts you yeah um yeah. I, I feel like um that, that that was an interesting point that you brought up about the hero being celibate or mm. it tends to be um i think it's because the hero is in, in any myth is married in a sense to his mission. Yeah, I was right? just going to say that. And so that's his um mm-hmm. that's his wife right, <laughs> in a sense. Right. Like he has to give his all yeah. to that mission. Right. And he can't be tied down to right. anything else. It's almost like Batman no. is like married to Gotham. Yeah. You know, or whatever. Yeah. And it and it if you were to marry then you get more particularized. Yeah. And that's like what the the call of the ordinary man is to do is now to particularize and to bi- bind yourself to yeah, something exactly. or someone. Um yeah, as opposed to saying in this like complete potential state of like, well, I could save the world. It's like, okay, but are you though? Like, you know, that, that actually happens when you particularize to a particular woman. Right. And, and, then, and yeah, exactly. And, and then that why, becomes a microcosm yeah. Yeah. and then you become the hero of that story. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why priests yeah. are celibate is to, um, we're, we're not mm-hmm. unmarried. We're married to the church, right. <laughs> you know, in a sense. Right. Um, and so, you know, that celibacy is always for something. It's yeah. not just a sacrificing of, you know, mm-hmm. sex or something. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, it, right. It's for something. The hero and then, but but as it relates to marriage, uh, in my mind, it seems like you know, the you're now the hero of the world of your family, yep. right? And right. so that's what you're bound to. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone's bound to something, <laughs> so, right? Right? Because should be. You know, least. it's um, not like a, a a woman who isn't married but enters religious life or something like that. It's like, well, you know, that's you're you're still unfulfilled or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, because even you know, consecrated virgins or stuff like that, they're called brides of Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, they're they're yeah. supposed to be. Um, Married in that sense. Same thing with priests, mm-hmm. as you said. Same thing, you know, anybody who's in religious life. Um, you, you have to give yourself to, to something. Yeah, exactly. Um, right. You know, particularly, I, I w- you know, there was a priest, I think it was the same guy, same priest you was talking about, uh, celibacy before, that um, this is an interesting point. I think it's true um, that women don't really give themselves to, to something. They give themselves to someone. 
mm. but men can are inclined to they, they can live their lives by giving themselves to a cause. Mm-hmm. Like they right. can be the soldier mm-hmm. who doesn't die for someone, but dies for the cause. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Whereas that's, you know, that's not necessarily something that women do. But he said it would be better for men though to give their lives to someone. Mm. Right. So even if you're celibate, you, it still has to be that you're giving yourself um, t- to God. You yeah. know, at least not yeah. just like the cause of mm-hmm. you know Christianity. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like, exactly. Um, yeah. Yep. But I, you know, I, 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 yeah, that's true. I think generally, yeah, it was, that's true. And kind of going back to an earlier point, you're talking about kind of you have to have faith or hope that what you're doing in marriage really matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do think that, you know, that part of the, the Christian life is it, it's sowing a lot of seeds. It's just <laughs> planting. Yep. And having the faith and hope that even though you may never see the fruits of your work, that it is there will be mm-hmm. there will be a time yeah of harvest and reaping yeah, exactly. even if even if you're not the one and that's that's hard yeah you know like you yeah. want like I, as a man you want to see the fruits yeah, of your labor yeah mm-hmm. right it's like i worked really hard at this and i want to yeah. see it grow and i want to yeah. see it get big and i want to see you know yeah. i want to see results but you have to i feel like again on a deeper level as a christian you have to just hope yeah right that's yeah. what it is that's what hope. you're doing is actually sustain, sustaining society. Yeah, yep, but for sure. absolutely. Yeah, but, you know, marriage uh, is really, I think, one of the quintessential examples of the union, union of opposites. You know, there's not much more that's op- mm. more opposite than yep. man and woman. Yep. <laughs> uh, you know, the mm-hmm. union of masculine and feminine, but um, from that comes hopefully a, a, a fullness for the both of you, or yep. a wholeness. For the both of you, and uh, a, a, a unity that perhaps maybe can't can't happen anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes opposites can be at war with each other. Yeah, you know, you have men and women that are at war, yep. as so to speak, with each other. But it's it's in it's in marriage though that that these two seemingly opposite things come together and create a yep. third. Yeah, exactly. Job, yep. Yep. That is a good place to stop. Um, we're going to be taking a break uh, for a little bit here. A little over a month. We'll be back on January 15th-ish. Um, so Lee will be a new man when he comes back. I will. It's true. Yes. <laughs> um, basically related.com to sign up for our AMA. Um, I'm Matt Hylum on all social media, and Lee is Coach Lee. See you all later. <laughs>